So hello everyone, welcome back to the Japan Archive episode 80. This is take two. I don't know what just happened with our recordings. It only recorded 20 seconds of me, but five minutes of you. So that's, it's going well. <laughs> we had some good banter and now I can't remember what we were talking about. So I don't either. Shall we just jump into the episode? Because... Let's do that. Let's do that. Yeah. Okay. So today I'm going to do... The story of Hoichi the Earless. Like you said, it was a story that you're excited to hear about because you kept meaning to read it but never got around to it. I'll just jump straight in and I'm very excited to see what you have over in Sumiko no Heda. <laughs> More than 700 years ago at Dan no Ora in the Straits of Shimonoseki, there was fought a last battle of the long contest between the Heike or, or Taira clan and the Genji or Minamoto clan. There the Heike perished utterly with their women and children and their infant emperor likewise now remembered as Emperor Antoku. And that sea and shore have been haunted for 700 years. Elsewhere I told you about the strange crabs found there called Heike crabs which have human faces on their backs and are said to be the spirits of the Heike warriors. But there are many strange things to be seen and heard along that coast. On dark nights, thousands of ghostly fires hover around the beach or flit above the waves. Pale lights, which the fishermen called onibi, or demon fires. And whenever the winds are up, a sound of great shouting comes from that sea, like a clamor of battle. In former years, the Heike were much more restless than they are now. They would rise about ships passing in the night and try to sink them. And at all times, they would watch for swimmers to pull them down. It was in order to appease those dead that the Buddhist temple Amida-ji was built. A cemetery also was made close by near the beach, and within it were set up monuments inscribed with the names of the drowned emperor and of his great vassals. And Buddhist services were greatly performed there on the behalf of the spirits. After the temple had been built and the tombs erected, the Heike gave less trouble than before. But they continued to do queer things at intervals, proving that they had not found the perfect peace. Some centuries ago, there lived at Akamagaseki a blind man called Hoichi, who was famed for his skill in recitation and in playing upon the biwa. From childhood, he had been trained to recite and to play, and while yet a lad, he had surpassed his teachers. As a professional biwa player, he became famous chiefly by his recitations of the history of the Heike and the Genji, and it is said that when he sang the song of the Battle of Dano-Ora, even the goblins could not refrain from tears. At the onset of his career, Hoichi was very poor, but he found a good friend to help him. The priest of the Amida-ji was fond of poetry and music, and he often invited Hoichi to the temple to play and recite. Afterwards, being much impressed by the wonderful skill of the lad, the priest proposed that Hoichi make the temple his home, and this offer was greatly accepted. Hoichi was given a room in the temple building, and in return for food and lodging, he was required only to gratify the priest with his musical performance on certain evenings. One summer night, the priest was called away to perform a Buddhist service at the house of a dead parishioner and he went there with his acolyte, leaving Hoichi alone in the temple. It was a hot night, and the blind man sought to cool himself on the veranda before sleeping. 
The veranda overlooked a small garden in the rear of the temple, where Hoichi waited for the priest's return, and tried to relieve his solitude by practicing upon, upon his biwa. Midnight passed and the priest did not appear, but the atmosphere was still too warm for comfort within the doors, and Hoichi remained outside. At last he heard steps approaching from the back gate. Somebody crossed the garden, advanced to the veranda, and halted directly in front of him. But it was not a priest. A deep voice called the blind man's name, abruptly and unceremoniously, in the manner of a samurai summoning an inferior. Hoichi was much too startled for the moment to respond, and the voice called again in a tone of harsh command. Yes, answered the blind man, frightened by the menace in the voice. I am blind, I cannot know who calls. There is nothing to fear, the stranger exclaimed, speaking more gently. I am stopping near this temple and have been sent to you with a message. My present lord, a person of exceedingly high rank, is now staying at Akamagaseki. With many noble attendants, he wished to view the scene of the Battle of Danoora, and today he visited that place. Having heard of your skill in, reci in reciting the story of the battle, he now desires to hear your performance. So you will take your biwa and come with me at once to the house where the August Assembly is waiting. In those times, the order of a samurai was not to be lightly disobeyed. Hoichi donned his sandals, took his biwa, and went away with the stranger, who guided him deftly, but much obliged him to walk very fast. The hand that guided was iron, and the clank of a warrior's stride proved him fully armed, probably some palace guard on duty. Hoichi's first alarm was over. He began to imagine himself in good luck, but remembering the retainer's assurance about a person of exceedingly high rank, he thought that the lord who wished to hear the recitation could not be less than a daimyo of the first class. Presently the samurai halted, and Hoichi became aware that they had arrived at a large gateway, and he wondered, for he could not remember any large gate in that part of town except the main gate of Amida-ji. The samurai called for the gate to be open, and the sound of it being unbarred was heard. They traversed a space of garden and halted again before some entrance, and the retainer cried in a loud voice, Within there I have brought Hoichi. Then came sounds of feet hurrying and screens sliding, and rain doors opening and voices of women in converse. By the language of the women, Hoichi knew them to be domestics in some noble household, but he could not imagine to what place he had been conducted. Little time was allowed for him to conjecture, after he had been helped to mount several stone steps, upon the last of which he was told to leave his sandals, a woman's hand guided him along interminable reaches of polished planking, and round pillared ankles too many to remember, and over widths amazing of matted floor, onto the middle of some vast apartment. There he thought that many great people were assembled. The sound of the rustling of silk was like the sound of leaves in a forest. He heard also a great humming of voices, take talking in undertones, and the speech was the speech of courts. Hoichi was told to put himself at ease, and he found a kneeling cushion ready for him. After having taken his place upon it, and tuned his instrument, the voice of a woman, who he divined to be the matron in charge of the female service, addressed him, saying, It is now required that the history of the Heike be recited, to the accompaniment of the Biwa. Now the entire recital would have required a time of many nights, therefore Hoichi ventured a question. As the whole of the story is not soon told, what portion is it augustly desired that I now recite? And so the woman answered. 
Recite the story of the battle of Dan no Ora, for the pity of it is the most deep. Then Hoichi lifted up his voice and chanted the chant of the fight on the bitter sea, wonderfully making his b-word to sound like the straining of oars and the rushing of ships, the whir and the hissing of arrows, the shouting and trampling of men, the crashing of steel upon helmets, the plunging of the slain in the flood. And to left and right of him, in the pauses of his playing, he could hear voices murmuring praise. How marvellous Hoichi is! Never in our own province was playing heard like this. Not in all the empire is there another singer like Hoichi. Then fresh courage came to him, and he played and sang yet better than before, and a hush of wonder deepened about him. But when at last he came to tell the fate of the fair and helpless, the piteous perishing of women and children, and the death leap of Ni no Ama, with the imperial infant in her arms, then all the listeners uttered together one long, long shuddering cry of anguish. And therefore they wept and wailed so loudly and so wildly that the blind man was frightened by the violence of the grief that he had made. For much time the sobbing and the wailing continued, but gradually the sounds of lamentation died away, and again in the great stillness that followed, Hoichi heard the voice of the woman, who he supposed to be the matron. She said to him, Although we have been reassured that you were a very skillful player upon the biwa, and without an equal in recitation, we did not know that anyone could be so skillful as you have proved yourself tonight. Our Lord has been pleased to say that he intends to bestow you with a fitting reward, but he desires that you shall before, perform before him once every night for the next six nights after which time he will probably make his august return journey. Tomorrow night, therefore, you are to come here at the same hour. The retainer who tonight conducted you will be sent for you. There is another matter about which I have been ordered to inform you. It is required that you shall speak to no one of your visit here. You are now free to go back to the temple. After Hoichi had said his thanks, a woman's hand conducted him to the entrance of the house where the same retainer who had guided him returned him to his home. It was almost dawn when Hoichi returned, but his absence had not been observed. During the day, Hoichi was able to take some rest, and, had, and he said nothing about the strange adventure. In the middle of the following night, the samurai came again, and led him to the same assembly, where he gave another recitation with the same success that had occurred the previous night. But during the second visit, his absence from the temple was accidentally discovered. And after his return in the morning, he was summoned to the presence of the priest, who said to him in a kind tone, We have been very anxious about you, Hoichi. To go out blind and alone at so late an hour is quite dangerous. Why did you go without telling us? I could have ordered a servant to go with you. Where have you been? Hoichi answered evasively, Pardon me, kind friend, I had to attend to some private business, and I could not arrange the matter at any other hour. The priest was surprised, rather than pained by Hoichi's reticence. He felt it had been unnatural and suspected something wrong. He feared that the blind lad had been bewitched or deluded by some evil spirits. He did not ask any more questions but he privately instructed the men servants of the temple to keep watch upon Hoichi's movements and to follow him in case he should again leave the temple after dark. On the very next night, Hoichi was seen to leave the temple, and the servants immediately lighted their lanterns and followed after him. But it was a rainy night, 
and very dark, and before the temple folks could get to the roadway, Hoichi had disappeared. Evidently he had walked very fast, a strange thing considering he was blind, for the road was in a bad condition. The men hurried through the streets, making inquiries at every house, but nobody had seen of him. At last, as they were returning to the temple by way of the shore, they were startled by the sound of a biwa furiously played in the cemetery of the Amida-ji. Except for some ghostly fires, much as usual, there was blackness in every direction. But the men at once hastened to the cemetery, and there, by the help of their lanterns, they discovered Hoichi, sitting alone in the rain before the memorial tomb of Emperor Antoku, making his biwa resound and loudly chanting the chant of the Battle of Dano-Ora. And behind him and about him and everywhere around the tombs, the fires of the dead were burning, like candles. Never before had so great a host of Oni-bi appeared in the sight of mortal man. Hoichi-san, they cried, you are bewitched. But the blind man did not seem to hear. Strenuously he made his biwa to rattle and ring and clang. But the men still shouted for him, Hoichi-san, come home with us at once. But reprovingly he spoke to them, saying, to interrupt me in such a manner before this august assembly will not be tolerated. Whereat in spite of the weirdness of the thing, the servants could not, the servants could not help but laugh. Sure that he had been bewitched, they now seized him and pulled him up on his feet, and by main force hurried him back to the temple where he was immediately relieved of his wet clothes by order of the priest, and reclad and made to eat and drink. Then the priest insisted upon a full explanation of his friend's astonishing behaviour. Huichi Long hesitated to speak, but at last finding his conduct had really alarmed and angered the good priest, he decided to abandon his reserve, and he related everything that had happened from the time of his first visit of the samurai. After the tale, the priest responded, Hoichi, my poor friend, you are now in great danger. How unfortunate that you did not tell me all this before. Your wonderful skill in music has indeed brought you into strange trouble. By this time, you must be aware that you have not been visiting any house whatsoever, but have been passing your nights in the cemetery among the tombs of the Heike. And it was before the memorial tomb of Emperor Antoku that our people tonight found you sitting in the rain. All that you have been imagining was illusion, except for the calling of the dead. By once obeying them, you have put yourself in their power. If you obey them again, after what has already occurred, they will tear you in pieces. But they would have destroyed you sooner or later in any event. Now I shall not be able to remain with you tonight. I am called away to perform another service. But before I go, it will be necessary to protect your body by writing holy texts upon them. Before sundown, the priest and his acolyte stripped Hoichi. Then with their writing brushes, they traced upon his breast and back and his head, his face, his neck, his limbs, his arms and his feet, even upon the soles of his feet and all upon every part of his body, the texts of one of their holy sutras. When this had been done, the priest instructed Hoichi, saying, Tonight, as soon as I go away, you must seat yourself on the veranda and wait. You will be called. But whatever may happen, do not answer and do not move. Say nothing and sit still as if meditating. If you stir or make any noise, you will be torn asunder. Do not get frightened and do not think of calling for help, because no help could save you. If you do exactly as I tell you, the danger will pass and you will have nothing more to fear. 
After dark, the priest and the acolyte went away, and Hoichi seated himself on the veranda according to the instructions. He laid his biwa on the planking beside him, and assuming the attitude of meditation, remained quite still, taking care not to cough or to breathe audibly. For hours he stayed like this, then from the roadway he heard the steps coming. They passed the gate, crossed the garden, approached the veranda, and started to ask and call for him. Hoichi grimly called the voice a second time, then a third, then a fourth. Hoichi remained as still as stone, but the voice grumbled on. No answer, that just won't do. We must see where he is. There was a noise of heavy feet mounting upon the veranda. The feet approached deliberately, halted beside him. Then for long minutes, during which Hoichi felt his whole body shake to the beating of his heart, there was dead silence. At last the gruff voice muttered close to him. Here is the biwa, but of the biwa player I see only his two ears. So that explains why he did not answer. He had no mouth to answer with, but there is nothing left of him but the ears. Now to my lord those ears I will take, in proof that the august commands have been obeyed so far as was possible. At that moment Hoichi felt his ears gripped by fingers of iron and torn clean off. Great as the pain was, he gave no cry. The heavy footfalls receded along the veranda, descending into the garden, passed out of the roadway and ceased. From either side of his head, the blind man felt a thick warm trickling, but he dared not lift his hands. Before sunrise, the priest came back. He hastened at once to the, to the veranda in the rear, stepped and slipped upon something clammy and uttered a cry of horror. For he saw by the light of his lantern that the clamminess was blood, but he perceived Hoichi sitting there in the attitude of meditation, with the blood still oozing from his wounds. My poor Hoichi, cried the startled priest, what is this? You have been hurt. At the sound of his friend's voice, the blind man felt safe. He burst out sobbing, and tearfully told his adventure of the night. Hoichi, the priest explained, this is all my fault. My very grievous fault. Everywhere upon your body the holy text had been written, everywhere except upon your ears. I trusted my acolyte to do that part of the work, and it was very, very wrong of me to not have made sure that it had been done. Well, the matter cannot now be helped. We can only try to heal your hurts as soon as possible. The danger is now well over. You will never again be troubled by those visitors. With the aid of a good doctor, Hoichi soon recovered from his injuries. The story of this strange adventure spread far and wide and soon made him famous. Many noble persons went to Amida-ji to hear him recite and large presents of money were given to him, so that he became a wealthy man. But from the time of his adventures, he was known only by the appellation of Miminashi Hoichi, Hoichi the Earless. And that is the tale of Hoichi the Earless. Interesting. That was good. I, I really enjoyed that. I mean, not the, the ears being ripped off. That's, that's not enjoyable, but very chilling. The The atmosphere of that I was like I was was sitting back in my chair but I was sort of leaning forward like what's happening what's going to happen next what's going to happen next I, I like that even though he he had no ears he still like was able to play his music and received accolades and performed and was still able to do his music so it, most mostly happy ending except oh my, my chair just clicked mostly happy ending except without ears yeah it was an interesting twist that he was talking mm. to the ghosts. Like, they do introduce... I like that they introduce the backstory of it. 
there was this battle and now the area is plagued by the oniba like all of these mm -hmm. you know spirit ghosts and then to find out that they were the ones haunting him and bringing mm. him there yeah it was very interesting and i feel like you almost thought perhaps maybe that there could be something going on because the the way it was described like the the gate is like well, there's no really gate here why would a gate be opened here so you you maybe suspected but not i i, I still was a little i was surprised <laughs> that that happened yeah. even though the bread the breadcrumbs were there it makes sense once you well mm. not when you figure it out but when they reveal to it mm. and i guess there are hints there they always say like an august presence he was meeting with someone and normally like an august person is someone of the imperial family or super high ranking and again when they then realize like oh it was probably the spirit of the emperor or a high ranking spirit from that battle yeah, it all clicks and it's all good. But I feel I find this kind of ended like other folk tales in a way that it always has like, and then they became a wealthy person. I mean, I I I do appreciate that it's not and he died. So I mean on that side. Yeah. Yeah, he did become a wealthy person. He kind of wondered, did did he give some of it back to the temple? I would assume so. I would have as a thank you. It's true, because they 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 did save his life. They did save his life. They knew exactly mm. what needed to be done. They knew that spirits could not see things. I guess things in general with sacred texts upon them. You just got to make sure you're covered everywhere. Like they specifically <laughs> say that, oh, they even did the soles of his feet. But then they forgot. And I guess you have to yeah. take some liberties. Like I assume his clothes were fine and stuff. Or did they write, did they write the sutras on the clothes as well? Maybe. I wonder what the sutras are. So in Japanese, this sutra was called the Hanyashin Kyo, which is the sutra of transcendent wisdom. Oh, I wouldn't mind some transcendent wisdom, perhaps. Transcendent wisdom is always good. You can't really turn it down. <laughs> Just, I don't want it to prevent ghost samurai coming to get me. But it's interesting that they said, oh, because you've been doing this for him, it means that when you're finished, like after your six days or whatever, they were just going to tear him apart. Like, why wouldn't you just keep him alive so you can hear the tale again and again if you wanted in the future? Well, I'm, I'm guessing they would assume he'd eventually tell what happened. I don't know. It feels like they were just asking for the same story each time. He obviously wasn't in the battle. He just knew the tale and he was very good at telling the story to them. So why would you want to kill him afterwards for doing that? You're a ghost. You're going to be around forever. Like, keep that guy around so you can hear the story as many times as you want. Also, did the ghost stop coming forever after that? They're like, oh, we think Hoichi is gone forever. Let's not check later. I feel like this is a, a question for the priest. <laughs> we obviously don't know the rules on this one. True. We have to go find that priest, so... I would, I would, I mean, I would guess that he said something about fulfilling, not fulfilling the contract, but fulfilled. He brought back Hoichi. That's all of Hoichi he could see. So he brought it back. And so it was finished at that point because he couldn't actually bring Hoichi himself, but he brought a part of Hoichi because the rest of him was gone. So technically the contract or whatever was fulfilled. So even if they found him later, wouldn't have meant anything because they 
finished before. I mean, that sounds good. Sounds believable to me. Yeah, it sounds that's the best I could come up with at this time of night. <laughs> so what is what is over in your corner today? Actually, a little. So today, you really anticipate because you asked me earlier what I was going to read and you. Um, and you, then I was like, don't tell me, I'll wait. So, so are you ready? Are you ready? It's a sin view. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, anticipation. Okay. <laughs> I was like, oh, Classic. I don't know what comes anymore. Ah, oh, back to a senu. Well, I'm still glad that you still are gonna do poems as well. Yes. Oh, yes. This is this is a mixture of everything. We got we gotta have some poems. We gotta have some sinew When I go back to haiku and different things, so we're just going all around the, not the world. We're going around the country. I mean, maybe around the world, but mostly around the country. We have a sinew. And I picked this one not knowing what you were going to talk about. And it's not not intentional. It's interesting, though, that I picked this one. But when you're ready, I will read it to you. Let's go. Something about the head. Yes. Something about looking. Something about mm -hmm. head nod where you're like, you're right, but kind of not. <laughs> I feel like it's one of those things that I, I really should check with the professor before I read because the it's butte miru, so it could mean look, but also a slightly different meaning, where my Japanese uh, isn't good okay. enough to tell you for sure. <laughs> That's a shake head for me, not for you. <laughs> All I can really figure out is it's the word head is in there. Definitely head, and definitely. I mean, you could go with C, but the translation I got is putting up a shelf and bumping his head on purpose. Bumping his head on purpose? Yes. Okay, I'm interested in what the notes say about this. Why would it be on purpose? Okay, so I could read the notes, but it's, it's a sentence. So I feel like we could come up with another explanation. And I know you've done this because I've done this. So... Not so much in Japan because we can't really nail things in our walls so much. But have you, you've put up a shelf before, right? I've put up many shelves. Like a wall shelf, not like bookshelves. Like the, like the wall you, the wall, oh my gosh, the shelf you put on a wall, just like a floating shelf or something like that. Uh, no. Oh, oh, uh, let's see. Well then. Let's see if I can figure out something else. Okay, well, you're on the taller side. Of life. I am. And often, especially in Japan, when you're going through doorways, do you ever just kind of like tap your head to see kind of how far you need to go down? Yeah. Or... yeah, I do. So maybe you put up something in your house and you kind of see, will I ever bump my head into this? So you deliberately go and put your head as close to it to see where you might bump and to gauge how far you need to duck down or how far you might need to move to the right or to the left. I don't remember the last time I've done that, actually. But I do, I, I still find myself ducking down when I go through the sliding doors into my tatami bedroom. Like, I know I'm not going to hit my head, but still sometimes I'm like, oh, I got to hit my head. And I'm like, what am I doing? I, I know it's fine. <laughs> oh, that's true. Yeah, your doors are, are tall enough. I mean, I don't think there's so much problem with doorways, but like old houses, yeah, I've I've done that before where I I've almost bumped my head trying to go into a door. 
but I, yeah because as well for especially taller people in japan they still have a lot of stuff that is shorter than it would be in other countries i know one thing on the trains the handrails bump my head i have to be super careful like my head is right at the perfect spot i just bump on the handrails yeah i walk on the train instantly handrails to the face <laughs> are standing up from my seat handrails <gasps> smack yes! me on the head yes or if you get a backpack on and you, you you miss your head but then you get the backpack on them done that one a few times <laughs> oh and the kitchen cabinets like i think your kitchen is similar layout to ours and like if i have my hair pulled up it bumps into the top of the cabinet <laughs> At the bottom of the cabinet. I do a regular thing as well. If I'm in the kitchen and I'm opening cupboards, like, I'm always like, oh, did I close the cur Did I close the cupboard? Am I going to smack my head? Yeah, you're going to close the cupboards because you, you will. You will hit. Like, the professor doesn't have that problem. I have that problem. It's a little short for taller people. <laughs> well, I like that Senryu. I feel like Senryu always has a not strange theme to it but it's never something you expect you know like a traditional poem it's like the emotions that some scenery or a past love mm -hmm. conjures up not oh i hit my head <laughs> <laughs> so i love i love senyu a lot i really do i like that interpretation because poetry is is beautiful and can be like life-changing or inspiring or but sometimes just something like simple, observational, humorous is also nice to have as part of life. Well, thank you for the senryu. It was kind of nice coming back to a poem after you like, Heather's Corner, we're branching out. But then we come back to a senryu. So thank See, you don't for worry. that. I appreciate we, it. <laughs> we won't leave them behind. We're going to do poems this year too. You are very welcome. I'm super excited. When you said, I want to be surprised, I'm like, oh, goody. I'm going to surprise you. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad when you offered to tell me. I was like, no, 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 no. Don't tell me. I will wait. <laughs> Thank you very much, Heather, for that today. And I hope you finally got to hear the story of Hoichi the Earless. Yes, thank you so much for picking that today and sharing it. It was really interesting story. I'm glad you liked it. Um, so thank you everyone for tuning in this week. That is everything from me. How about you, Heather? That's all this week. All right, everyone. Until next week. Matane. Mie-san, kyatsukete. Matane.